I mean it. I, I have this fear of enclosed spaces. I think everything must go back to the fact that I had a very anxious childhood. I, I, I feel physically inadequate. I gave it a lot of thought. The truth is, this therapy is a jerk-off. You know it, and I know it. Well, uh, I, I guess uh, deep down I'm, I'm feeling a little confused. But the thing is, I mean, since our discussion's here, I feel I have a right to my own feelings. The simplest way to put it, I have problems. I worry about diseases, so uh, I have trouble touching things. I'm prone to depression. A certain bleak attitude about the world. But I know I can handle it. You're listening to Mental Wealth, a podcast about people's mental health experiences and the tools of recovery. Hi everyone and welcome to Mental Wealth with me Simon Tierney. This is episode two in a series of podcasts for News Talk in which we'll be discussing a different mental health condition in each monthly episode. The show is not intended to be a substitute for professional treatment but rather an exploration of mental health issues and the tools of recovery. In this episode we're looking at anorexia and my guest is Cora McAvoy, a yoga teacher and mother of three from Louth. Cora, thanks for joining us. How are you? Oh good, Simon. Thank you for having me here today. Oh, I'm delighted to have you. So you've come down from Louth this afternoon? I have indeed, yeah. It's about an hour's journey from Dublin. And I hear you got caught in a bit of traffic, or were you okay? Uh, We managed to just escape it in time, all right. With the match. match. (laughs) We avoided it, (laughs) yeah. Good stuff. So um, just to start off, Cora, I suppose in the beginning part of the podcast, we just want to get a little bit of context. So for you, the condition, the anorexia, it started for you towards the end of secondary school. Would that be right? Yes, it was back in 97 when I felt it all kind of began then. I was uh, 17 at the time, turning 18 that summer. And um, it was the start of sixth year then in school. And um, a lot was changing. We had a lot of studying going on um, and people were going to be going on different roads come the end of that sixth year in school. And I felt um, I started looking at myself differently and my body image. And that was kind of when it all kind of started to change for me. Can you tell me a little bit about the symptoms at that stage? Because you possibly didn't. You didn't have a formal diagnosis or anything at that stage? Um, I wanted to get fitter. I joined a running club. So these are all the small little changes that I had made. Um, I changed my eating routine as well and just, you know, healthier eating, I suppose. Um, And that was when my friends noticed a big change in me and weight started to, you know, um, it started to lose weight and my parents started to notice a change in me as well. What I'm trying to understand, I suppose, is with a lot of mental health disorders, the reason why it happens in the first place might be quite abstract, like an imbalance of chemicals in the brain. Or for you, do you think it was triggered by a particular event in your life or the the context of the changing circumstances in your life? Yeah, definitely the changing circumstances in my life. It was the fear of going out into the big bad world after school. 
um, when you left school and into college and just that change, that transition in your life. I felt um, it was my way of dealing with the changes that were going on in my life at that time. A lot of uh, worries, uh, stresses and anxiety I felt. And I suppose the eating disorder, it started there and that was my little crutch to get through this tough year uh, of my life. I mean, you know, you were going to finish school and it all depended on how many um, points you were going to get and what college you were going to get in. And I felt that I I judged myself on that and I felt that other people would judge me on how I performed within this that, that sixth year in school and where I was going to go with my life. So, um, yeah, food kind of took over and exercise took over and that was my way of dealing with it. I think... For, for me, anorexia is like a lot of mental health conditions can be very difficult to understand yeah. if you haven't experienced it yeah. yourself. So I was on the BodyWise website, which is the uh, Irish organisation which, help, which helps and supports people with yeah. eating disorders. And it says that it's more helpful to think of the eating disorder as something that a person has developed in order to feel that they can cope with their lives. Yeah. Can you expand on that? What does that mean? Like, is it about control? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Big time control. It was like f- for a f- a food, you can control what goes into your body, what goes out of your body, what you, uh, how you exercise, you know. So it was, yeah, you know, you felt like everything else you couldn't control in your life, but that was the one small part of you that you could. And you felt safe being able to control that, kept your head clear and drove you you're focused like once once you knew you had you know it was all about the food yeah so. so the yeah so that that's helpful so the condition was a way of exerting some control yeah. over your circumstances yeah. or your yeah. life yeah if that's the case then it, are you still concerned about your your body image is that is that a, a really big deal i mean about being no. thin or no no, it's not really then at all. In the beginning, yes, I, I felt I wanted to tone up and shape up. Um, and that I, I suppose I could have maybe stopped then at that time. But I felt then it, it, it began to take over me and consume me and um, the, the food, the eating disorder itself. And um, when it develops, then it, it doesn't really your your appearance and your looks doesn't really come into it. Some days you don't care about what you look like at all. It's all food just drives you completely. And all you can think about all day long is what am I going to eat when I'm going to eat and how little I can eat within that day yeah. and get through that day. Uh, avoiding certain situations as in, you know, if you have to go out for dinner with your family or, you know, sitting at the table with your family. And they became your anxiety and, and, and stresses actually having to deal with eating with people. Um, and you, you felt that they were looking at what you were eating and judging what you were eating as well. So you were admitted to the eating disorders unit in St. Vincent's Hospital. Um, what age were you at that point? I was 19, 19. I was 19. But you're still in school. No, I had finished school. Finished I had school. finished leaving cert. Yeah, okay. so I was twenty. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> to be admitted into a psychiatric unit is a rather scary experience. What had what was your physical state like at that point? Um, I was very low and weak. Um, my BMI had gone down to thirteen. The week before I was admitted to St Vincent's Hospital, the doctor had brought me into the Lord's Hospital in Drogheda, 
and I was there for a week and I was met with different psychologists and they had recommended that I needed to go up to this hospital in St. Vincent's. Um, and at the time, obviously, I didn't want to be going, but looking back on it now, it was the only thing that I could possibly have done. Um, I couldn't think straight. Um, I was I was absolutely a mess and looked like a bag of bones, really. So I, in a way, I was, I was kind of glad that other people had taken that control of my life and made me go into hospital and um, do what they needed to do, which was kind of feed me up. Yeah. <laughs> that time. Um, the hospital was quite scary. I mean, there's only three beds in that unit um, for people with eating disorders. So you've all different varieties of mental illness in that hospital. Um, it wasn't really a nice place at all. And it took took it took me a while to kind of settle in there, you know. And I was on bed rest when I got there too. So I think I spent a month on bed rest, couldn't leave the bed at all. And um, the first few days that I'd gotten there, I was checked out, um, different tests and things like that. They felt that I needed to be tube fed. And after that, I think it was about 12 hours with it in when I had been tube fed, my heart um, went into a bit of a, a lull, like a cardiac arrest kind of a thing. Um, and I was brought down to the cardiac unit for a night. Just my body wasn't able to, to deal with the volume of food that was coming into it. Um, spent a, a day and a night down there and then the following day I was brought back up and I actually began to feel better in myself because I was getting proper nutrition from being chewed fed and I didn't actually have to think about the food. All I had to do was deal with the plate of food that was in front of me and I didn't actually mind eating it then. For them few months that I was in hospital, I didn't panic, I didn't worry, I didn't stress about the food at all. I actually felt quite comfortable being there and been looked after in a way. And those food decisions were taken out of my control and I felt very relaxed about that actually. Um, do various doctors had come around all right, um, but for the whole psychology side of it, they they didn't really intervene there at all. Like there was no major counselling or anything like that given to me at that time. So at the end of my three months there, I was, yeah, you can be discharged. You've reached your BMI, you're a healthy weight, off you go. And out into the big bad world again, I went. And that was, was okay for a while, but then it, I started to go downhill then again. So I did. Can you try and describe what that feeling is like for you? at that time inside how did you feel did you feel upset did you feel angry how did you feel it's like such a mixture of emotions it's really hard to explain it's like oh like a volcano exploding inside of you or something it's oh I can't actually explain it it is just a major kind of a feeling I wouldn't even say it's anger it's madness it's 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 just all those rolled up into one and you just want to scream and shout and explode gnarly. And no matter how you try and cognitively think about it to clear your head and rationalise your thoughts, you just can't until time passes and you eventually calm yourself down and fall asleep and just hope you wake up okay in the morning and then thoughts will be gone, you know. Um, so you, you said that... Um during your time in the hospital, you got um, a little bit better and then you went out of the hospital and you started to go down again. Yeah. Why do you think that was? 
I had to look after myself again. I had to make decisions about food and what to eat. And I, I just couldn't do that for myself. I just got lazy about minding myself and feeding my body and my mind and getting on with life. Since the beginning of time, people have been, you know, frightened and, and unhappy and they're scared of death and they're, they're scared of getting old. And there's always been priests around and shamans and now shrinks to tell them, look, I know you're frightened, but I can help you. <clears throat> of course, it is going to cost you a few bucks. In this part of the podcast, we look at the journey and road to recovery. Can you explain to us, Cora, the treatment that you received? Um, What sort of therapies or ideas were provided for you, both in the hospital and then in your subsequent treatment outside of the hospital? Talking about it is one thing, but it didn't help talking about it. I needed kind of... How could I think about this differently, I suppose? So for a lot of lot of my time, I was all going to see different counsellors, hoping that I'd get somewhere with it. In hospital as well, they had an outpatients clinic, so I would have gone up um, when I was bad every week um, and then it dwindled off. Like the, the better my weight, the less they wanted to see me, you know, but the lower in weight I was, then they wanted wanted you in every week and check your weight. And it was more to check your weight. It was more about, well, actually, you know, do we need to admit her? Um, I didn't really benefit from anything else going up there and chatting about it at all. So I took it on board myself to look into it a bit more. I had gone and paid for counselling ourselves. My family, very good at the time. And... um, I went for hypnotherapy as well and you try various different things but they're all just a tool and didn't overly help at all. Yoga was maybe, um, had been advised for me to do and I gave that a go and I felt that great. That really helped me um, feel good in my body and my skin and the relaxation at the end as well was very helpful too. Um, I would have done that kind of just once a week. And then as as time went on, went on, I felt then not the need to go to counsellors because I didn't really feel that they were helping. And I felt that I would be better off just talking to my friends and my family and those that I felt could had some idea of what was going on in my life and continued on with, with yoga to kind of manage how I felt about my body. Was um, <laughs> cognitive behavioural therapy used at all? CBT? Yeah, only recently. It was back in 08. I had come across Dr. Harry Barry um, and I made an appointment to see him. I was very lucky to get into it. Now he's a big, long waiting list to, to see him. And I would see, I've seen him. I see him every kind of six weeks, read his books. And it was only kind of then that I felt then that actually he challenged my thinking process. In and what way? Me, he made me see things in a different light. He would have asked, challenged my... So if I'd gone to him with an issue or how I was feeling about something, he would challenge me on that feeling. And, well, why would you why would you feel that way? Um, and maybe how to look at it in a, in, different, in a different way. Can he you give said, us an example? Like anxiety, like going into... Um, going out for a night and knowing that you're going to be... Okay, so going into a pub. Yeah. I find that very <laughs> overwhelming sometimes. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, got me to see that, well, 
you know, you're you're not better than anybody else. You're not or they're not better than than you as well. And he made me see the whole look at the whole situation of 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 me panicking, like say for the day before getting ready and preparing myself to go out for this event that what that was coming up to actually calming me down and realizing that I had nothing to worry about, that I'm what does he say? It's like the uh, the raggy dog club. I can't judge myself. I can't let others judge me. But what I can do is judge my behaviour or people's behaviour rather than the person themselves. And with that little kind of that has that little, you know, thought process in my head uh, in every situation that I'm in really does kind of help me and make me realise that, hang on, you don't no one's judging you. It's they're judging maybe your behaviour, but that's about it. And was there um, an element of uh, having to do some exposure work with that, exposing yourself, like going to a pub and actually facing the fear of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He made me do it. Yeah, Trick, um, <laughs> it challenging, I'm sure. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't easy, um, but it's amazing how good you feel after you've done it. You know, mm. you, you're you're panicking maybe you know, the whole way through it until you actually get there. And once you get there, then you deal with it and mm. you feel great after you've 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 dealt with it. So, Did you reach a point in your 20s when you felt comfortable again inside your own body and comfortable with your relationship with food? It was only when I became pregnant on my first child, Jack. Um, I was 27 at the time. And when I became pregnant, it, it, it just changed it wasn't about me anymore. It was about me and this child. And, you know, you just take it on board yourself to control of your life and, well, you know, nurture yourself and look after yourself. So that was the, that was the big change for me. And I haven't kind of looked back since. There might be an odd up and down moment, but no, generally that 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 feeling that I would have gotten when I was really sick, I don't get them anymore at all. So in terms of your anorexia, when you were in your mid to late 20s, what do you think were the most important tools for your recovery or maintaining your your health? My life in general, when I left hospital, I did still battle with it. My weight was fine. I'd never got low again. My thinking and relationship was with food was was still really bad. But life in general, you know, you, you went to work, so you were busy with work and you didn't have time to think about what you were doing. You, I met with friends and that, that took you out of thinking about it. Them little things did help along the way. Um, so engaging with in, yeah. socialising, engaging with friends. Who I felt comfortable with. Yeah. Not the unknown now. Just, of course, I yeah. had my little routine and I felt comfortable with that little routine. Um, I socialised with, with people that I felt comfortable with, but that I knew made me feel good about myself too. Like, not like say, oh, you look lovely or anything like that, but just yeah, yeah you felt comfortable with and they yeah. had the crack with and that, yeah. you know, um, uh, they were my, my sisters and my, my cousin was my, 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 my main kind of crutch when I went out socialising and yeah. that, and I enjoyed their company the best. They've been great in my life and just taking me out of my own head and seeing things in a different light and showing me different, you know, different ideas and how to, to, to cope and just do things in life. Um, you you told me before um, in an email, Cora, that your parents 
were always very supportive yeah. uh, with you, but that they never understood the condition of anorexia. Yeah. Can you expand on that a bit? I don't think anyone can understand an eating disorder unless they've actually had it themselves. Like an eating disorder is very like a person with who's like an alcoholic or, you know, drug addiction. It's it's an, you're addicted. It's an addictive nature that you you have. Mom and dad would have gotten books and read up on it. And even my sisters as well, they, they, you, just, you just couldn't get your head around it. Like, why couldn't you just eat the food, you know? And that was said so many times to me and... I couldn't give them an answer. I couldn't explain it and they couldn't see it. They couldn't see how it was just a feeling inside me that I didn't even, I didn't want this feeling inside me. If I could have got a magic wand to make it disappear, I would have. I didn't want to be that person. I didn't want to to drag them down with me too. And you felt like you did, you know, at home. It, it caused a lot of stress and strain on on the, the family house itself, you know. I don't even think to that they do even now understand it, you know. I suppose it's it's a, a it's it's in the past now, and, and we move on for, from it in our household. So it's it's done, and you know, it, we we chat, we get on with life. And but I always feel that if there was an issue, I I could go to them and I could have a little chat with them, you know. Okay, it's time for this. This is what I believe to be true. This is what I learned in the hospital. You have to do everything you can. You have to work your hardest. And if you do, if you stay positive, you have a shot at a silver lining. In this part of the podcast, we look at movies, books, music, sport and other interests which can cast a light on the difficulties of mental health issues or indeed offer some respite during difficult times. Um, when you were in hospital uh, with the condition, Cora, you used to listen to a particular song. What was that? Mm-hmm. Um, Irish Goo Goo Dolls. Yeah. I would have had it on my... Very 1998. Yes, <laughs> it was. <laughs> it was my only thing that I could fall asleep to at, at night time, though. I would block out the sounds and just get lost in the song. And I would have it on replay and replay until I actually fell asleep. Yeah. Sleep. So, yeah. Um, it it reminds me obviously of falling asleep in the hospital, but it also remembered reminded me of that year and it like that was a good summer, you know. So it had some good memories in that song for me too. Yeah, I was listening to it before we met today, and I wrote down uh, some of the lyrics. Okay, and I actually realised that some of them are quite pertinent, perhaps to how you were feeling at the time. Mm. So he says, um, the lead singer of the Goo Goo Dolls, I don't know. I'm not sure <laughs> either, no. <laughs> I, he says, I don't want the world to see me because I don't think that they'd understand. Yeah. When everything's made to be broken, I just want you to know who I am. Yeah, yeah. That sums that summed it up for me back then. Yeah, and it still does. It still does sometimes um, about my whole eating disorder, my my journey. Mm. I felt like I was, I was in that hospital because... No one understood. No one could actually help me. I didn't feel that anyone could could ha- had a magic wand to make it all go away, which obviously they didn't. Okay, let's go back to 1998 and have a listen to a little clip. You mentioned earlier, Cora, in the podcast that uh, yoga played a big role in your recovery. Yeah. So did you, you discovered that after you came out of the hospital? 
Yeah, could have been maybe six months after I came out of the hospital and there was um, yoga classes going on up just from our house and I signed up for a 10 week course and I did it. Hatha yoga, very nice and relaxing and a good bit of meditation and that as well. What's Hatha yoga? You're going to have uh, to explain okay, to me now because I don't know anything about <laughs> okay. yoga, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, very relaxing and gentle stretches of the body. Yeah. And in terms of your mental health, <laughs> what was it? The, what was it about yoga that you found particularly helpful, do you think? Well, it was recommended to me, for me to try so that when I did give it a go, just stretching your arms and legs made you more body aware, which made me feel calm and made me feel nice in my own skin. You're not thinking about anything else other than what part of your body that you're stretching and you're getting in that nice So it's quite feeling. mindful in that way. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the relaxation at the end, so... Like you've done all your stretches and then at the end of the class you're, you you take that time out for your mind to register how your body's feeling after all those stretches. A nice quiet time, listen to nice relaxing music and you're trying to obviously not let all those other thoughts come into your head. So you've you're, you've now taken that on professionally? I have, yeah. Um, I suppose I, I did, I went to yoga classes for about three years on and off and then in 2003 three or four, I decided to look into become a yoga teacher and I trained, started my own practice. And um, because I have young kids, I got interested in kids yoga and did a training course to do to deal with kids. And now I'm working in schools and it's a lovely area to work in because <laughs> there's so much fun and it's different to teach than adults, actually. So my job itself gives me a good, good uh, feel good factor. Um, that's a, a very positive outcome from your difficulties, isn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. In the This is the second episode of Mental Wealth. In the first episode, when I was speaking with John Moynes um, about his experience of depression, we discussed how sometimes some cultural things like movies or TV shows or something like that or books can offer some respite or some time out or we both felt in our discussion that it was the familiar things that perhaps offered the most respite rather than things which you weren't expecting. So, for example, I was saying that there was a particular episode of Only Fools and Horses that I really liked to watch when I was feeling anxious or down. And you were saying to me before that there was a TV show that you found some respite in when mm -hmm. you were struggling with your mental health difficulties. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Friends, yeah. Friends. <laughs> yeah. I still have the box set at home and I still throw it on. But yeah, that was that was a big help for me then as well. Obviously, you didn't have the box set back then, but you lived for the episodes to come on, you know, back then, 98, 99, wasn't it, that they were all out? But uh, yeah, uh, anytime you're feeling low, just switch it on and certain episodes, they just get you. And you know the ones to actually put on and make make, make you feel, put a smile on your face, you know. Yeah. There's nothing you threatening kind of, about yeah, it, is there? You, you feel safe in them and you feel so familiar with them, you know, like as if they're your own friends in a way. I, I know that it's important uh, for people with mental health difficulties not to ignore their illness but in saying that there's something to be said for uh, when you are having a difficult time 
that sometimes it can be nice to to take a almost take break. a break from yourself yeah. and allow yourself to enter into the world, the yeah. fictional world. Yes. Of yeah. something else. Yeah. Isn't there something about that? There is, definitely. Uh, even sometimes when you go to the cinema, that's that's a huge help for me too, especially if it's, a, if it's a funny movie. But you completely get lost in that cinema. I suppose it's just so dark and there's this big massive screen in front of you. But you come out feeling better, you know, and you forget, you really do forget your, your problems, you know. Let's have a listen to a little clip from Friends. When it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, Tell me what? Look at you, you won't even look at him. Oh, come on, tell me. I could use another reason why women won't look at me. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Last night, I had a dream that um, you and I were uh, doing it on this table. <laughs> wow, excellent dream score. <laughs> I love it when we share. <laughs> You okay there? I can't believe you two had sex in her dream. I'm, I'm sorry, it was a one-time thing. I was very drunk and it was someone else's subconscious. So it's time for Mental Wealth Recommends. The final part of the podcast, we look at things which may help people who are dealing with a particular mental health illness. This week we're obviously focusing on anorexia. Cora, are there any charitable organisations or support groups that you would recommend to people who are struggling with an eating disorder? Um, Body-wise, they do offer great advice for the person who's suffering and also for family and friends as well. Definitely recommend them. How did you use their services? Or It was for my family as well. They had support groups and things like that. But just looking at, being able to look at their website and know that you're not alone in how you felt and you did actually feel that they they really got you and they really understood you and that alone was really kind of comforting and and reassuring and just to know even for for my family and friends that there was that support for them too. Yeah I when I was doing some research in advance of this interview I was on the Bodywise website and they have a a section called uh, Frequently Asked Questions Mm -hmm. FAQ and I actually found that really helpful it's really well written really concise yeah. And it gave me a much better understanding yeah, coming in. Yeah. Uh, listeners can check out Bodywise online at www.bodywise.ie. Uh, Bodywise also have a helpline, which is open uh, Sunday to Friday for two hours each day. And you can call that on 1890 You mentioned to me before, Cora, uh, with self-help books, that sometimes you found those counterproductive for you. Yeah, as well, you're sometimes reading was a big struggle for, for for me because I couldn't couldn't concentrate, and also um, books that you might pick up from the library it was describing kind of what other people had gone through, and they kind of gave you ideas on how to to keep your illness going and opened you to you're exposed to to different ways of of the other people's experiences of it. So I didn't find them helpful at all. What I wanted was someone to aid me and help me think differently about my thoughts and about food, mm. not about what other people had gone through. Mm. Um, That's interesting. So, yeah. However, there is one book that you do recommend. What's that book? Yeah, uh, Five Steps to Happiness by Dr. Ender Murphy. Um, and it's not so much about an eating disorder. It's just about your, your thinking process on things and how to deal with anxiety and stress and pressures of everyday life. 
yeah, I, I found it really easy to, to read. It wasn't this encyclopedia or anything. It was very straightforward, nice writing on it. And it's a book that you pick up and put down and, and, and take it up when you, whenever you feel you need to. That's Five Steps to Happiness by Dr. Enda Murphy. Cora, I want to thank you so much for coming in to us and speaking to us on mental wealth. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me as well. Yeah, it's lovely to do it. If you'd like to comment on this episode of Mental Wealth or if you would like to share your experience of mental ill health or indeed recovery, you can email me simon.tierney at newstalk.com or you can contact us on Twitter and the Newstalk Twitter handle is at newstalkfm. I'd love to hear from you. So um, please make sure you listen to next month's Mental Wealth podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.